Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 235 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And if you're listening in real time, Merry Christmas, guys. I hope it's an amazing holiday. I know it can be a real grind at church, and if you're listening to this in real time, you're probably tired and trying to stay awake for your family. I have been there so many times, but I just want to know. I'm glad to come alongside you today. I hope it's been a great holiday for you, and I hope meaningful uh, holiday for you spiritually as well. Um, hey, listen, just so you know, nobody's working today. We're all off with our families, but uh, thanks to the internet and all the stuff that makes this appear magically without you, um, we're able to ship even on Christmas Day. And whether you're listening on a run or you know the next day or that week, I really hope it's a great season for you and actually a very appropriate subject. So, you know, often people think, okay, if I'm going to lead something that's growing rapidly, uh, I have to sacrifice my family. I have to sacrifice my health. And answer to that, eh, no, you don't. And that's why I'm really excited to have John Van Pay on the podcast for this episode because he leads the fastest growing church in America. And we talk about, um, well, how to be home five nights a week, how to find margin amidst growth, and how to say no to stay focused. Yes, it is not mutually exclusive. You can do both. So this is going to be a masterclass in that. I think you're going to love it. And so, John, thanks so much for saying yes to an interview and a conversation. And it's just exciting to be able to have these conversations, particularly at a holiday time, where sometimes that challenge gets very real in your life. Speaking of challenges, have you checked out the Red Letter Challenge? It is not too late at all. Um, I got to tell you, if you're a pastor, you probably focused on the weekend, you're thinking about the new year, you got a budget, or is that finalized yet? And you want to get people plugged into small groups. Oh yeah, plus you've got volunteers you need to step up. Well, the Red Letter Challenge can help you with all of the above and more. It's a 40-day turnkey church campaign. It's fairly new, actually. It centers around making more effective disciples of Christ. I've met the author his name is Zach Zender, and he basically took a time to study everything Jesus commanded his disciples, the red letters in the Bible, found five main principles out of the mouth of Jesus. And the challenge is centered around those five targets, being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And basically, churches around the country and increasingly around the world are using this to focus their congregation on the teachings of Jesus. One Lutheran church in Phoenix did a mission project after preaching on the serving week had a 250% increase in the amount of people that participated at the same mission project as the year before. Imagine the reach of a 250% increase in mission project participation. Now, this is fascinating. 100% of the pastors that have implemented the Red Letter Challenge recommend it because they've seen an average of 40% growth in small groups, even in very large churches. Uh, and it's not just groups. Many pastors of all church sizes are reporting an increase in worship attendance, giving the amount of volunteers in their church, social media engagement growth of up to 300%. So it's easy to implement because it's all turnkey. So what you get with the Red Letter Challenge, small group materials, study guides, videos, sermon manuscripts, yeah, your sermons outlined, kids curriculum, 
and even a graphics package so you don't have to do the work. It's all done for you. So you can go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, to see the church packages ready to go for you. And you will save up to 10 to 40%. Packages start with as little as 10 copies, perfect for small group, up to 1,000 copies or more if you have a large church. And if you need any other quantities or info, go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. They'd love to help you. And also, let's talk about your mobile strategy for 2019. You think about it, you know, engagement is everything. We live in an analog digital world. So you have people who show up in person and then you have people who are on their phones every day incessantly. What is your church doing about that? Now, whether you're a large church or a small church, push pay can help. Um, they have a mobile strategy that's not only a giving strategy and not just a mobile strategy, it's an engagement strategy. They've helped more than 7,000 customers last year process billions of dollars in generosity and increase engagement in their church. And right now, there's a special offer for listeners of this podcast. So go to pushpay.com forward slash carry before the offer expires. You can sign up to talk to a rep who's got some special offers for listeners of this podcast. No obligation, but if you're like, I don't know whether this is right or not, just chat about it. He's an expert in church technology, or she is, whoever you're going to talk to. I hope you'll check them out. Pushpay.com forward slash carry will get you everything you need for a mobile engagement strategy in 2019. Well, now on to my conversation with John Van Pay, and it's a, it's a powerful conversation. He leads Gateway Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. And a few years ago, his wife stood in front of him with their three small children, packed, ready to move. And she said to him, John, you're a great pastor. You're just not home enough to be a good father and husband. We're leaving. And like, wow, can you imagine that? Well, anyway, he changed his ways and now leads the fastest growing church in America, Gateway Fellowship. Here's my conversation with John Van Pay. John, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're really, really glad to have you today. Great. Thanks, Carrie. It's a treat to be on. I'm a longtime listener. Uh, really appreciate your ministry in this podcast to me personally. Well, thanks. You know, that's always, uh, as we were saying before we started rolling, that's always been so encouraging to me to find out that guests may have listened. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a privilege what we get to do. So I want to go back and uh, there are a lot of student ministers, youth pastors listening to this or former youth pastors. And that's where you started out. Uh, you, you worked a ton of hours, right? When you were young and starting out, a lot of leaders listening can relate to that, even if they're not so young. And apparently that didn't go over very well at home. So let's just start there. Do you want to fill us in a little bit? Like that's part of your story, right? Absolutely. I'll never forget the day that I walked into my home and my wife was standing in the kitchen with a few suitcases packed. And my first instinct was like, oh, where are we going? You're surprising me with the trip. It's not our anniversary. Are we going to the mountains or the beach? And she looked at me in the eye and she said, it's over. I'm moving back home to Houston. You're a great pastor, but you're simply not home enough to be a good daddy and a good husband. Uh, wow. Yeah. She just said, I'm, I'm not going to do it by myself anymore. And it was, a, it felt like a gut punch. You know, she, we, we talked about it leading up to that moment and not make excuses or didn't think it was as bad as what it was, but uh, it was the reality check I needed. I mean, it was my fault. I had said yes to every opportunity. You know, our church was passionate about starting other churches and 
And so I was involved in starting student ministries in rural areas and, and in the city, as well as our church, and just said yes to everything and and couldn't say yes to what was really most important, and that is to my marriage, my family, and, and to the Lord. I was spiritually burning out at the time. So a uh, tough, tough moment in the journey for me. I want to drill down on that a bit. How how old were you and how long had you been married? Right. So I was at that time about 30 years old. So we had been married 10 years, spent about 11, 12 years in student ministry. Hmm. And how many kids did you have? At the three children, three children. Wow. All, uh, one was a baby and the other second, third grade. What made you say yes all through your 20s? Uh, I definitely felt God calling me into ministry and I was passionate about it. I was passionate about student ministry. It was fun. It was a, it was a great environment, had a lot of friends who saw the fruit of it. It was growth. It was, uh, really, really enjoyed it. There was a lot of fulfillment for me personally to see, to see the kingdom results, to see lives change with students. I had that burden and, and it was, was going to continue down that road. Is it true that you weren't just working at one church, but like you were planting other things at the same time? Right. Yeah. Like, so our church was starting an, an, a new church in a rural area. And so I, I was leading the student ministry in that church. So it, it required for me to be uh, there a different night of the week. And, and so we were doing all these programs, ministries and events. And uh, she pointed out to me, she said, last month you were only home four nights during the whole month. And During the month? During that specific month, yeah. Wow. Uh, did did you know it was a problem? Um, or, yeah. I mean, obviously that day you knew it was a problem, but like yeah. leading up to it, did did you know it was a problem? Yes. Uh, but, you know, when you're when you're on when you serve on staff at a church, you 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 want to fulfill your pastor's ver- uh, vision and expectations. Uh, but I. I want to be real clear. It was my fault. I should have had boundaries. I should have said no. I should have, you know, I take total responsibility in that. And, and so I, there, there's part of the ministry when things are going, when you're seeing a lot of the fruit and the results, it it can be addictive. It can, you, you throw yourself into it. And I, I was, I was burning out personally. And so I knew the signs there. I was, my relationship with the Lord was not as intimate and close as it once was. And, and that affects every other area of your life, including your marriage and, and, and at home. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a hard conversation. What, not everybody in that moment listens. And I know you're reading the mail of a lot of leaders listening right now who are like, "Uh oh, not going to let my spouse listen to this podcast right now. Um, you know, and, and that was in part, maybe not quite as extreme, but that was part of my journey too as a young leader, being very driven, very ambitious and thinking you're doing God's work. So why not go full guns, right? Absolutely. So how did, how did that conversation go? I knew she was serious and, yeah. and I, I, I couldn't hide. I, I had to confess to her, repent, repent to the Lord. And I said, all right, you know, I, to save the marriage, I said, I'm getting out, you know, I'm done. Let's make a career change. And I made that commitment to her and started down the road of, uh, at the time there was a new, no student left behind act given. And so I was going to 
become a teacher. So I started that process of learning what it would take to be a teacher. Like a school, a school teacher? Yeah, like a yeah. high school school teacher and, and coach. So we made plans to go in that direction. But during that time, I just kind of had that that dissatisfaction, that holy discontent inside of me that God was calling me into ministry. And it was during that season that uh, there was a, a calling to to maybe a ministry change to, to start a church. And so that's something that really intrigued me and I felt like I was calling me. It was new. I was thinking, oh man, that, that's going to probably take more time than, than being a, a youth pastor. But uh, at, during that time, I, I read a book by Craig Rochelle called Confessions of a Pastor. And he was just so vulnerable. And in that book, he mentioned that he was home five nights a week. He made a commitment. And so I pitched that idea to to my wife and and she said, if you can make this commitment, then I'll agree to get back into ministry to stay there in the course of God's call in our life and, and even give uh, church planting a try. So you've already hinted a bit at the answer. And I don't know, I've, I've read a lot of what Craig wrote. I, we will link to it in the show notes, but that is a book I need to read. I was not aware of it. That notwithstanding, how on earth did you think planting a church would give you more margin than being a student pastor? I mean, there's not a lot of logic in that statement. I know it worked out that way for you, but like if, if you were coming to me with that saying, hey, if you're my mentor, is this a good business plan? I'd be like, nope. <laughs> well, again, my, and for my context, when, I'm, when I serve on staff at a church, I'm there to fulfill the vision and expectations of my pastor or direct report mm. uh, as a as a senior pastor as a lead pastor starting a church you you start with a clean slate and so you can put the right boundaries you can go at a pace that is healthy for your your walk with the lord marriage and family and so that was the hope going into it uh anyway i, I didn't have experience i never did it before but that certainly was the hope behind it yeah so you know, you're planning a brand new church. How do you plant something? And I mean, the, the context for this is, I think it was last year or the year before, you were the fastest growing church in America. And we'll get to that in a large church. But how do you do that being home five nights a week? Right. So these establishing the firm boundaries of being home and we're 10 years in. So we've done that. We've not. Yeah. Compromised. yeah. You got a legit track record. This isn't right. like, well, month one is going fairly well. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and, and that expectation has been the, the case for everybody on our staff, our whole team and really for our whole church family. So the the being having the firm found, uh, boundaries, but also majoring on the majors, like what is truly most important that we must focus on. And that really is uh, our, our relationship with the Lord and intimacy with our father, that we abide with him, a, a devotional life that's not just compartmentalized to 20 minutes in the morning, but just that relationship with the Lord and and then discipleship for us. And is, is just a focusing on discipleship and the way that we understand it from a first century context, the way Jesus did it with his followers. And so we're real simple. We, we definitely embrace the simple church philosophy of majoring on the majors, minor on the minors. So because we've done that and we said no to all the other programs, ministries and events, uh, we've, we've been able to just be focused on those things. And as a result, we've seen the growth and the fruit. Yeah. So that's not an easy pivot for most people. 
Can you walk us through, because I mean, this issue just comes up over and over again in leadership and ministry in the marketplace, everywhere where people are just saying, look, I'm slammed. Like you're starting something brand new. You move to a different part of the country, correct? Right. Yeah. So you're, you're building all these relationships. Practically, what did you need to change to carve that kind of margin out? Well, when we started, we started in our living room with eight people. <laughs> it was just a small group. We said, Jesus belonged to a small group, and we're not going to get in a hurry of focusing on a worship service. We're just going gonna to get to know our neighbors. We're going to stop going through the, the drive-through. We're going to stop paying for gas at the pump and get to know people. And so we put a butcher paper wall in our living room, and it was just very organic, very relational as we're getting to know people, getting their phone numbers and writing down their names on this butcher paper. And we would just pray for them. When our, our team would gather together, or when I was by myself, I would lay hands on that butcher paper and pray. And as a result of that, that Lord just gave us a burden uh, for them and, and to do it in a way that ministered like Jesus did. And so for three years, he spent his time, most of his time, pouring his life into his followers. You know, they traveled together, ate together. He trained them. He showed them how to pray. He gave them opportunities to minister. And so it was very much like that during the very beginning. We didn't have to worry about the weekly worship service or all the programs and ministries and events. It was just very simple. And as our group grew, grew and we had we did have a launch service in a school and then moved to a, a movie theater before we got land of our own, uh, it, we, we really kept that focus on discipleship, like small groups, worship service, service. And that was true for kids, students, and adults. And so that simple uh, approach and being very disciplined to say no to almost everything else helped us to be able to, to grow. And so that kind of fit into the, you know, daytime model of, of work rather than the never ending day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where did you come up with that model? And can you explain it in a little more detail? Because lots of people, I mean, I, I would say for sure, simpler is the trend, not more complex and simple is scalable. But where, where did you come up with that model a decade ago? And what exactly is it? Right. So I, my experience, my story, I came from serving at different churches that were larger and had all the ministry programs. And by me saying yes to everything constantly, I saw what it did to my life and my marriage. So out of that pain, uh, a conviction was birthed that there had to be something different. And in another book that that I read, the Simple Church book, said, hey, you've got to have a, a laser-focused, simple pathway or discipleship pathway, pathway that you're going to help your friends grow people in the relationship with the Lord. So that's that's where the, the background, the, the conviction came uh, that really did help us just pour ourselves into people that discipleship does happen in the context of a relationship, the life on life, that, that passion, that focus from the very beginning, it just, it became part of our, our DNA, our culture. And we've never strayed away from that. So would you characterize yourself as somebody who left to your own devices has workaholic, you know, hyper-driven tendencies? Absolutely. And I, I wonder if you asked that, does it, does it take one to know one carrier? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can smell that out pretty quickly. And it's, it's constant limits on, uh, 
like I would just work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And, you know, that's, that's a sure recipe for burnout. So I have to put all kinds of artificial, not artificial, but real limits in place to block me, like days off, hobbies, um, calendar space. All this summer, we're recording this in the summer of 2018. If you look at my personal calendar, multiple times a week, there's just blocks of time that says family and friends. Boom. <laughs> I think that's so key. You know, if something's going to be a priority, you're going to put a mechanism in place to support yeah. it. It's reflective of your of your calendar because your our intentions aren't good enough. And if we're type A or driven, competitive, achievement oriented, it we're going to to have a fast pace that other people oftentimes can't keep up with, whether that be our family, people in our church, those who we're leading, and we're responsible for them as well. And when we look at our calendar, I think that's where a great starting place and out of our convictions and say, all right, I'm going to block the time of what is most important. And that, that Sabbath, that the family time, those weekly dates, crucial for, for keeping that, that pace right. So is that how you did it? What are some other things that you did to just keep that in check? Yeah, it had to be healthy. Again, my relationship with the Lord was not right. It was more based mm. on works. And when I I felt like I was almost born again out of the ashes and losing my marriage, I was out of shape physically. I, you know, lost, uh, I was not fit emotionally, spiritually, and always for, for ministry. So there was a a brokenness and out of that humility and brokenness that the Lord redeemed. And it was just a new love in Christ, a relationship with him, a love with the gospel. And so there was times where my, my devotional life was not just 20 minutes, an hour in the morning. It was just abiding during the day, aware of his presence. And I found a great amount of peace and rest in that and joy in that. And that helped me to become a, a much healthier uh, husband and father and leader, uh, just that that shepherd heart of the Lord that we see in John 10 and how he abided with his father. It just, it, it, the more I spent time with him and that intimacy and having a mind in love with him and just being aware of that, that really became the root, the, the foundation for, I think, humility and that I was going to focus on what was his heart. And that was being a soul winner and passionate about discipleship that the, the really became the foundation that everything else flowed out of. A, a healthy marriage will come from a healthy relationship with the Lord. And if, 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 if your relationship with the God, your relationship with your wife's not right. I mean, if you have a lame marriage, you're going to have a lame ministry. And yeah. so those, those things I had to, I had to give focus and, and really win the right and the credibility with my wife uh, for a long period of time before the ministry and before others that, that I were leading, we're going to follow. That's a tough pivot for a lot of people D who helped you. I mean, was that entirely self-driven? Did you have spiritual directors, counselors? Like how, how did you, how'd you make that switch? Cause again, a decade in, it looks like a switch. Right. Uh, again, I keep going back to that. We don't change sometimes until we realize what something can cost us. And I was about to lose my marriage, lose ministry, and I didn't want to quit. I did not want to just lose. 
And, and so I, that change happened internally 10 years ago. I can take you to the place, a place where God called me to the ministry by a big oak tree and a river at a summer camp. And I, I made a commitment to God that if he would redeem and give me another chance that I would do it the right way, a way that would please him. It'd be, I was going to make my wife and uh, a priority that my children we're going to, my greatest prayer is, is that they would love him and they would love the church and they wouldn't be sacrificed on the altar of ministry. And so it was that, I go back to that moment for me, it was almost like a, a moment where I personally just made a covenant with the Lord and he gave me a second chance. And I'll never forget how we started. Never, I'm just so grateful every day that I have a new, a new chance, a new, a new uh, day to be able to serve him. I don't take it for granted. That's for sure. It's pretty amazing. What are, you've hinted on this, but just so we don't leave anything hanging, what are the rhythms and habits and disciplines that you follow and maybe have developed in this last decade uh, that have helped you run at a sustainable pace? Yeah, I, great question. And our life, our ministry is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And I love you're one of your three B's, Carrie. You like to boat, barbecue, and you got your bike. What is the longest bike. ride you've ever been on on your bike? I think I've done 75K. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a half biker. I just bike to work off the barbecue, but it's the only form of exercise I truly enjoy. So typical ride for me is about 30K. Um, and I'll, I'll go up to 75 once or twice a year. Right. So 70, How about you? 75,000, 75K miles. K. That's about, yeah, miles. about 50 miles. 50 miles. 45 that's miles. And, and with the metric system, I can lie. That's like 300 miles. No, right. it's not. It's like 45, 50 miles. <laughs> but that's legit. That's a long distance. It's going to take you, uh, you know, two, three, four hours to be able to finish, depending on your pace. But you know, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't treat it like it's five miles. You can, you're going to, you're going to burn oh, out. Yeah. Yeah, you can't sprint that that all 40 miles. There's no way. So there might be a 70%, 75% of your maximum heart rate. There's a sustainable pace for you. And I think we all, based on our experience, our personality, how God's wired us, called us, we all have a sustainable pace that we have to, a, a, a rhythm that we have with the Lord that it's not, we're not doing too much where we're doing more than what God has intended us to do. But we're not doing, we're not so lazy, right? That there's no fruit and, and and no results. So where is that place that each of us have to get? And so for me, it was, you know, that, that again, everything flows out of this relationship with the Lord, this abiding time with him, that, that I couldn't do more that would start to choke that out. And so it's something that you sense, you know, daily, you know, weekly, if that's getting out. And, and so for, for me, that was the, the foundation. And then same thing with, with ministry, I had to, to go at the right pace and, and be aware of what my pace may be faster than my team or, or my family. And I had to be aware of, all right, I'll, I need to maybe adjust or come back a little bit so they don't burn out. We're in this together. Mm, and so yeah. that, that pace is crucial. That You learn from experience. And it's, it's something that, you know, when you start riding your bike, you may not know the right pace. But if you do a heart rate monitor and you compare the actual metrics to how you feel and your breathing, pretty soon you're not going to need a heart rate monitor. You're going to know. And I think God, how God wires us physically, he wires us the same spiritually and with our ministry. And it is crucial for us to have a good pace 
and not use the excuse that we're in a season or we're going to just say yes to everybody's demands on us. We're going to have right. to learn to say no. And not every idea is a God idea. So I think as we mature and we, as we go along, we can become wise. Um, so we do have a sustainable pace to be able to finish and last uh, with the kingdom assignment God's given us. What's your strategy or approach for saying no? I mean, obviously, to keep a church lean and simple over a decade a lot of no's there. There's probably a lot of no's in your personal life as well in terms of saying, no, tonight I'm putting my kids to bed or, you know, tonight's date night. What a lot of people find that hard and clearly you did in your first decade. So what is the internal talk when you end up saying no? And then what is the external talk when you tell somebody no? Right. So internally, I'm asking, what is the wise decision here. If I'm faced with a challenge and there's multiple options and maybe one solution looks good, I'm going, what is most wise? What will give the biggest kingdom impact? What is most wise for my family? What is most wise for me personally? What's wise for our church family? So these are questions that I will ask myself. And if I'm still, if I still don't have a conviction or, or maybe I just want the answer to be confirmed, I'll definitely go to scripture and ask the Lord to confirm it through scripture, ask the Holy Spirit to confirm it through an internal peace. But I mean, scripture says we can find safety in the multitude of advisors. So it's important to have three, five people, someone that you can trust and be completely honest with and say, hey, here, what, if you're in my shoes, what is what is wise? What is wise in this? This I need to make a decision here and, and getting their input, and then you kind of like met, take that all that process. What is God saying? You're listening through one ear and then the ear of other people, your wife, your family, and through all of that together, I think you, the outcome. Uh, if you're not trying to rush into it, you take take a day, take a couple of days, and the Lord will reveal wisdom. Hmm. How do you tell them? How do you let people down? Somebody come from your church comes up and says, John, I got a great idea. Here come, here's a great ministry that we should start. I'm sure, you know, that happens fairly regularly, uh, at least in the early days. How do you let them down? Because a lot of pastors struggle with that. And they're like, well, I didn't really want to do it. But, you know, here we are. Right. So our church family and our staff, our advisor council, we've we're really on the same page. Uh, we have a, we were able to, we've collectively said, all right, here's the boundaries that are in place. And we're going to say no to these things, not necessarily bad programs, events, opportunities, but what's wise for our church family to fulfill the vision and the mission that he's called us to, and to keep our lives right with the Lord and our families. And we're just, we're sorry. We just have to say no. So we use we a lot, like our advisory council. I've agreed, we've agreed together that for the next year, we need to say no to these other things. I hope that you understand, but this is what's wise for uh, our, our, our church family and the vision that God's given us. How has that gone over in the congregation? Again, we've, our church has grown a lot in the last few years, but we've we've been consistent in that message. Yeah. So people 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 know ahead of time what the answer will be by this point. 
Right. And out of and out of yeah. my pain and my story, I really want what's best and what's healthy for, for our church family and for everybody. So I, the, the messages, the kingdom principles that are there and our experiences, we tried to share because we, we live in a day where everybody's busy. Everybody has more than enough opportunities, especially for your children. I don't know about in Canada, but where we're at, I mean, sports leagues and then academic expectations. There's just, there's a endless amount of opportunities. And you can say yes to so many things because you want what's best for your kids, but then spiritually or church or other things can be shortchanged. And we try to help, okay, what is wise, what's for best first with the kingdom of God and, and, and for the local church and our church family, how can we do this that it's healthy? Yeah, no, I get that. And and I think you do, because we had a similar thing. We started as a simple church in 07. We're still a simple church. And Making those decisions often, and, and the pattern I would think that I see in your life is you made some personal decisions a decade ago, you've lived by them. You made some organizational decisions a decade ago. And at first, while that might be a little bit hard or a little bit wobbly, eventually that just becomes a new normal. And um, people, even large groups of people, have a way of picking that up. And then they know, oh, no, our church isn't the kind of church that does this thing. Right. So Absolutely. there's almost like a, a self-filtering process that happens after a while. But a lot of leaders don't have the courage to get there. Right. And we we were in a school, we were in a movie theater, and then we got some land that was generously blessed to us by the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby, a great miracle. And we built the building and everybody had an idea of how we could use that building as a tool to to start ministries, programs and events. But we yes, again, I've had those conversations. It. Yeah. <laughs> and, but we went in and so we said, we're going to be disciplined and we're going to say no. Uh, and so we, we don't do any events throughout mm -hmm. the year. We don't do any extra programs or ministries. We focus on worship service and small groups, worship service, small groups. So discipleship can really take root. We have a high expectation that everybody in our church is a soul winner that has a responsibility and a great privilege of of saying yes to the Great Commission. So taking responsibility of others, starting a small group, it's part of our, our culture. And the, the, the expectation that we have to fulfill that, we really can't say yes to all these other things or this won't happen. And that's our vision. That's what's unique to us. And so it, it really helps us to have a pretty good conviction. Would you have any advice for the leader who maybe suffers from fear of missing out? Like that's a pretty narrow model. Like I've read Simple Church, I've read The Seven Habits or Practices of Highly Effective Ministry, whatever, Andy Reggie Lane's book. Sorry, guys, forgot the title right now, but it's a great book. Anyway, on, on Simple Church. And, um, you know, I get it, but that is a very small model, like groups and worship, groups and worship. That's about as simple as it gets. Um, what would you say to the leader who's like, well, first of all, how do I know I could bet the farm on something that n narrow? And then, gosh, what if we're missing out? What if we could grow a lot faster if we added a third component or a fourth component? Like FOMO, fear of missing out, major thing these days. How would you advise that leader if they came to you with that problem? I would ask them, what is their definition of discipleship? <laughs> you know, every pastor will say discipleship is important but it's fleshed out differently all over. And so some think I'm going to grow people with different 
programs or even small groups. There's so many different models. Some say just lead a discussion guide based on the big idea or this video content, and then we're going to reshuffle the deck. And but I, so I would take every, I would take my friend who asked me that question. Let's understand clearly what Jesus meant when he gave us the commission to go and make disciples. <laughs> like what would his followers have understood? They would have said, all right, I'm going to do what Jesus did for three years. And in, and in the relationship, I'm going to pour my life into someone else. Like Paul told Timothy, you know, the same thing. Everything that I've said to you, find some reliable men who will teach faithful men that we are to reproduce this. That So having a common understanding of what discipleship is through a first century lens of what Jesus, not a Western context of content transfer that we fill in the blanks. It's just a lot of information. But again, discipleship happens in the context of a relationship. And so with that relationship, being vulnerable, meeting needs, showing care and compassion and and life on life where you have somebody where you can tell them everything about yourself, that you can confess that secret sin. Do you have someone in your life like that, that community, that context, that relationship? And so what God has done in us, he does through us. And so we're not, maybe we're not fully devoted followers of the Lord until we've reached that place of maturity that we can take responsibility for others and help them grow. And so it's just, again, that, that understanding of what the Bible means to go and make disciples. I would make sure that there is a very clear interpretation, understanding of a first century biblical Christ-like model. You uh, Let's talk about growth for a minute. You had a year where you grew from 800 people, if I've got the math right, to 2,300 people or something like that, like over 1,500 attenders in a year. I'd love to just have you unpack the growth curve at Gateway Church, your church, because it took you better part of a decade to get to 800, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like someone threw nitro into it or whatever. Do you want to just walk us through that? Sure. We Currently, at that time when we were about 750, 800 people, we were in a movie theater, three services on a Sunday morning, really maxed it out for a few years. And we knew that God wanted us to have, we just had a desire to have a permanent place in our community, a stake in the ground that we could grow because we were, the facility became a lid for us in our growth. And it seemed like there was a door closed after door closed. We tried everything to, to have a permanent home. So for four years, we were, we were doing that. And but during that time, we would always pray, God, don't add to our church beyond our ability to disciple them. It's kind of a dangerous prayer, but it was a motive, a good motive type of a, a prayer. And during the last few years, while we were in the movie theater, we became very lean and we were very intentional in training everyone. We had the expectation that every single person in our church family is going to be accountable for saying, all right, what did you do with my son, Jesus? And what he said, are you making disciples with your family, but with other people? And we were pretty honest. We were like, if this, if you just want to be on the sidelines and this is not the church family for you, we had nothing else to lose. I mean, we could, right. so we just became more lean. And then, you know, we, we, we saw some land, we did the prayer walks 14 mornings in a row, 11 acres. God gave us that land. So 
um, we were able to build a building. So during that one specific year that we grew, we moved into our church home, but we moved in as an army that was ready. Our spiritual infrastructure was ready. Everyone was trained to be a small group leader. And so new people that we were inviting that we had room for, we were able to quickly assimilate them into relationships, small groups. And again, that has continued. That pace has continued. And we're about to enter in our phase two now. We're doubled our footprint. And again, our infrastructure's in place. All of our staff are small group leaders. And we keep it pretty simple, but we're laser focused on our mission. That's pretty incredible. So basically, you spent those years in the theater just preparing the base for something bigger. Right. Right. For more. Fascinating. When you planted Gateway, you said you wanted to do relational ministry. So you have an explosive growth here like you've had. And how do you keep that relational? Because that's one of the big, you know, I think your church would qualify these days by every definition as a mega church. How do you keep a church that size, over 2,500, relational? We use terms like we're family, we're home. But if you can't back that up, it's going to seem pretty hypocritical for people who come into the door and, and see as many people as we have. But because of the emphasis on small group, when people come, they're coming because they've already been invited to a small group. Our goal is that 101% of our church family will belong in small groups. In other words, more people into small groups and homes than our worship service at our church facility. And so because of that, we can feel a lot very, we can feel smaller. We can feel very relational. People are going to have friendships. And, and so we, that's our, our emphasis. We're, we're very, um, relational. We want people to take their next step to belong in a small group. And so all of our small group leaders, they're inviting their neighbors, their coworkers, people who don't look like them, maybe different faith traditions, Muslim. We're, we're setting the bar high for them to reach that high hanging fruit. But the low hanging fruit, when people come in through the doors, we get their information. But by Sunday afternoon, they're going to have a, a, a small group leader knocking on their door that are in their neighborhood, inviting them to their home, saying, hey, I, I'm in three days, I want to invite you. We've got other neighbors. We also go to the same church. Come. And, and each of these small group leaders have been trained. It's been modeled for them. They're, fa- they're fat. We call them fat. Faithful, available, teachable. <laughs> and there are pastors in our church. And we've got hundreds of them that they're not just small group leaders. They're pastors. And they've served their way to leadership. And uh, this is how we've been able to grow. And we're fulfilling the, the great commission the best that we can. So hang on. I go to your church for the first time to one of your services. And two o'clock in the afternoon, someone shows up on my door inviting me to a group. Did I hear that right? Right. We are not going to let out. Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons beat us. <laughs> <laughs> we have... We, we, we have a, a our vi- long-term vision is to, to start up over 100 churches in the next 10 years, ultimately to the unreached people groups who have not heard the proclamation of the gospel. But it's not, we got to do this 
here first, but we really believe our future missionaries and church planning teams, there's nothing special and anointed about the airplane. We've got to make disciples and reach our community here. So we have uh, a vision of every door being knocked upon multiple times, every person hearing the good news of Jesus, not in a worship service, but by a small group leader who's been trained that can pray for people, invite them into their home. And so, yeah, every guest that comes into our church, during the service that they're in, we've got volunteers that will put them in the system. It fleshes out onto a map and wherever the small group leaders who have room in their homes that are closest to them, that same service, they come to our den and they pick up a little bag that has that name, the address, and five dollars uh it's it's a box of four chocolate chip cookies that cost five bucks and so they take that bag and by they have 24 hours the expectation and that is to knock on that door it's kind of old school but again it's very relational we're we know some people don't want people necessarily to infringe or knock on the door but the reality is they gave us their address when they filed out that connection card you know, once you mentioned chocolate chip cookies, I'm like, oh, okay, you can come over. But um, <laughs> how, uh, tell me, like, do you get pushback? Do you get people like, like, because no, you're right. Nobody does that anymore other than the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, do you get pushback on that? There are some who, uh, yeah, they don't want people necessarily coming to the door. But once we say gateway and they have the commonality of we went to the same church the same service. We live in the same neighborhood. Our kids go to the same school. And I just want to say, hey, thank you for, for being our guest today. And here's some cookies, a little token of our appreciation. And I live right around the corner. If you need a cup of flour or sugar, uh, I, I'm available. Here's my phone number. You know, so is there anything I can pray with you about? So a friendship happens. We try to like mm. make a statement, a first impression that we're going to we were, our mission of our church is to help friends become devoted followers of Jesus. So it starts with a friendship, and we'd rather err on the side of, okay, we're going to make a positive impression in the minds of people. And some people may be put off on that, and they're going to say thank you and not respond. But we're, I mean, we're growing as a result. We just want to be on the offense. We don't know how much time we have before the Lord returns, and we want to be. We really want to win our city for Christ, and it, we're doing it by empowering volunteer leaders who are saying yes to the Great Commission. So it's been a good news story over the last decade. Um, but what have been some of the biggest challenges for you as you've led Gateway? Mm. Uh, so our, with our vision of everybody being a soul winner, making disciples, small group leaders, we've, we had the vision of we're going we're gonna to have 300 adult small groups. And, and so the challenge has been as we've grown and we have that many small group leaders, we have to have the infrastructure and we don't have a lot of models that we're, we're trying to learn from some, but for us, the pain was supporting and encouraging these small group leaders. So we've had to have layers of leadership. So every five small group leaders have a coach. Every five coaches have a head coach. Every five head coaches have a lead coach. And then we have a small group staff. So that, all that's taken time, but a challenge has been because of the need of the infrastructure to have a coach, we've rushed small group leaders to become a coach before they were even ready. There's a yeah, great- Welcome to every growing church. Yeah, we struggle right. with that too. Sure. Pushing people into leadership before they're ready. Yeah, before their character, before the, they've had a chance to be faithful and fruit. So that's been the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Anything else? How about for you personally? Uh, you know, I, me personally, I think it's, I'm very passionate. I've got an ownership mentality, but really trusting others that you've raised up, you've equipped and delegating responsibilities that you've loved doing. But I think for me personally, learning to let things go so I could say yes to the only things that I can do. There's some, there's just a, there's a pain in that. And there's a great joy in that seeing other people be fruitful and in some, some ways do it better than I can. But me personally, I think kind of how to let go of some things that I'm passionate about. It's been challenging. How have you done it? Uh, again, just delegation. I think, you know, we, we've gone through another gross season. We were doing five services, a Saturday night service and, and just paying attention to our, my personal family, my own health. And so we've had to scale back. We've had to cancel a Saturday service, uh, just because it wasn't wise for us. And even though that's, that's painful to look in the eyes of people who work on Sundays and, but it, it, again, it's what's well healthy, what's wise for our church family. And you have to make those hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Anything that's been easier than you thought it would be? Uh, I think there, there comes fruit and wisdom with longevity and, <sighs> <laughs> and experience. And, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. So I think that the, once you do get comfortable with a sustainable pace and rhythm and remember that we're in this for the long haul and that there is a rest in the Lord. And he says, you know, take my yoke upon you, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. When you lean in on his mantle of yoke and his expectation, not your own, not what others may expect of you, not because you're an achiever and you see all these opportunities, but go, all right, we're in this for the long haul. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And if it's costing us our health or relationships or burnout, then we need to check ourselves. And I think for me personally, I, I know I, I can identify those indicators or those signs or flags that things are getting out of whack and, and I can make those course changes to get aligned better, easier. You're a cyclist. Big question. Road or mountain? <laughs> I've done it all, but I am passionate about mountain biking. I wondered. I thought where you live, it's it's always a question. You could be a, a you look like you got the frame where you could be a road cyclist. Right. I, I go in the mountains in Colorado. My, my mountain bike racing bike is a Rocky Mountain element. Do you know where Rocky Mountain bikes are manufactured? I do not. In Vancouver. So, Get out. Uh, right. Okay. In BC. Yeah, okay, I'm a specialized guy. Yeah, yeah. I used to have a specialized S Works uh, road bike that uh, I absolutely love. But nice. I have a I have a Canadian maple leaf on my mountain bike, and I would love to tell you, Carrie, that every time I ride and I see that maple leaf, that I'm remembering to pray for you. But that would be a lie. Ah, uh, well, if you do it once, I'm grateful. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I need it. I'm listening to your podcast and I just want to just say again, thank uh, you so much for your uh, your ministry and encouragement to me. I took a sabbatical last summer for three months and yours was one of two uh, podcasts that I listened to. And I don't say that just to, you know, blow smoke, but I just, I genuinely appreciate your investment in me as a leader uh, to fulfill what God has called me to be. So thank you, Carrie. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, John. And what was the other podcast? You got to set the record straight. 
Oh, Jocko. He's an old Navy SEAL. A lot of, uh, <laughs> not ministry, but he takes a lot of military principles from books and, yeah. and he really raises the bar. You know, that 20 minute average commute of a podcast, a lot of people may say, well, yours is long, Carrie, but his, are, you know, is his is like two or three hours long. So no kidding. Eh? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, I, I'm learning one of my theories that I'm working on is I think young adults in particular, like 25-year-old males, they're not listening to an hour of podcasts a week. They're listening to dozens of hours. And, you know, if you've got a manual labor job, for example, let's say you operate machinery or whatever, you might have six hours a day where you can listen to podcasts or, um, you know, for people in exercising and, and that kind of thing. It's just, it's fascinating to me. Uh, anything else you want to share? Oh, I'm just, you know, I, I love that, that you said that. We can be good stewards of the time we have listening to podcasts uh, while we cycle, work out, commute, and not only just podcasts, but, you know, there's a the, the Bible audio now. I know you version does it, but you can get a dramatized version of Jim Caviezel <laughs> reading the Bible. And I've been doing listening to large chunks of the Bible as well while I'm riding my bike. Very, very, very yeah. important. Yeah. Hey, before we go, tell us about your book. You've got a book out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I just released a book, first book uh, called Marathon Faith. Marathon Faith. So, faith. so it's finding endurance, uh, faith through the endurance runners of the Bible. So it's a study of Hebrews chapter 11, all those who are mentioned. Uh, and then my story comes out of that as well. Oh, that's good. And you know what I appreciate? You weren't going to mention that unless I mentioned that. So go check it out. It's called Marathon Faith, John Van Pay, a uh, Dutch name. Uh, the Dutch mafia is once again at work. So <laughs> that's what Newhoff is, if you're wondering. Uh, right. Anyway, a lot easier to say than Newhoff. That's for spell. Newhoff's easy yeah. to say, hard to spell. But uh, <laughs> anyway, John, thanks so much. If people want to learn more, where can they find out more about you online? They can visit marathonfaith.org, marathonfaith.org. All the information of the book is there. Me, uh, we're doing a sermon series on this book, and we offer free sermons, free small group questions, videos that anybody can uh, download uh, to help them. That's awesome. Hey, uh, John, thank you so much. Thanks for everything you're doing, and we'll link to everything in the show notes. You bet. Thank you so much, Carrie. Well, guys, that was Rich. Hey, there's transcripts too. So if you're a reader as opposed to a listener, make sure you head on over to the show notes. You will find them at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 235 or go to lead like never before. Just type in John Van Pay. That's pay as in pay the bill. Okay, so V-A-N-P-A-Y. And you'll find everything there. And uh, also links, everything we talked about are in the show notes. And we are back next week. Guess what? It is New Year's. Yeah, 2019 kicks off. Got a fresh episode for you. Before I get to that, because it's a pretty exciting one, just remember, 2019 could be a breakthrough year for you. And I would love for you to check out the Red Letter Challenge. Go to redletterchallenge forward slash carry. It's a 40-day turnkey campaign that can help your church engage the teachings of Jesus. And I think you'll see phenomenal results. And then also for your mobile strategy, PushPay is the leader. So head on over to pushpay.com forward slash carry. Sign up to talk to a representative. Uh, get your mobile giving strategy, engagement strategy, and much more moving for 2019 before it's too late. Well, in the meantime, next week, we are back with a fresh episode. And I talked to Jonathan Pokluda. JP leads the largest young adult ministry 
in America. It's got an unbelievable reach. Like he's reaching tens of thousands of millennials every week in person and digitally. And we talk all about it. And this is going to be fascinating, whether you're in the church space or the business space, like understanding the millennial mind and even like creating a great workplace or environment for millennials and Gen Z can be challenging for a lot of leaders. Jonathan's an expert in it. He's also got a brand new book uh, that he's going to talk about, which is really all about adulting and how to get into that. And here's an excerpt from New Year's Day's episode. That night when I got done preaching, it was the longest line that I've ever encountered. I mean, I was there till midnight talking to people uh, that just came up and said, I can't believe he said that. I've never heard a pastor say that. I've never heard anyone say anything like that from the pulpit. That was so crazy. And me too, and me too, and me too, and me too, and me too. And so I I was like, wow, okay, all right. And then I told that story. I was speaking at a seminary, and they asked me to come and speak about reaching millennials, and I told that story. And the feedback that I got afterwards, they could write anonymous feedback, was, hey, you need to have the appearance of holiness um, you, you said the word pornography in a mixed gender audience. That was inappropriate. And I just thought, Carrie, I thought, man, they want, here's the deal. You're never going to reach them. If you want to keep playing that game and you want to keep pretending that you have it all together, you're never, ever going to reach them. Well, that was a life-giving conversation. Again, if you subscribe, you get it automatically. Pushes to all your devices on release day. And uh, like Christmas Day, you know what? You're probably going to be busy doing something else on on January 1st. But as soon as you go for a run, head to the gym, start cooking, don't go on a long drive, it'll be there for you. And that's what we want to do week after week after week. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for making 2018 so amazing. Your ratings, your reviews, your social shares. I hear from leaders all the time who are like, I email out the episode to my whole staff. We share quotes. We talk about it at staff meeting. Guys, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. See you in 2019. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.